G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 2. And so we're looking at the topic, Still Don't Believe. It's not a pleasant topic, but it's necessary. It's truth. It is reality. There are those that believe in the clear evidence of God, of Christ, of the Bible, of the Gospel. And there are those that don't. But I do believe that even for those who don't believe, all is not lost. It is still possible to come to a victorious and saving faith in Christ. So the lesson is called Still Don't Believe, based on John chapter 12, verses 37 to 50. So Jesus, and I'm going to read a couple of verses from this passage. It says in verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words, and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Praise God for that. So basically Jesus is linking himself to the Heavenly Father, who is Almighty God, the one true God, the only God there is. And he's saying that when you believe in Jesus, you're believing in God, Almighty God. When you see Jesus, you are also seeing God. If we understand that people are created in the image of God, then Jesus Christ, Son of Man, Son of God, is the perfect image of God. As I often share, whatever you see Jesus doing, that's what God would do. Whatever you see Jesus thinking, that's what God would think. Whatever you hear Jesus say, he is simply reflecting what God himself would say, do, think, or act in any given situation. Now, they are distinct as persons. There is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. But in essence, there still is only one God. So we have this amazing mystery, the triune God, which is very much a part of Orthodox, small o, Christianity. And it's important that we understand the nature of the Godhead, lest we inadvertently worship the wrong God. What a waste. Jesus is telling us that he came into the world to be the light. And that whoever believes in him would not abide in darkness. And that his purpose of coming into the world wasn't as a judge, though he is a judge. But he came into the world, certainly in his first advent, to bring salvation to the world. There are some very powerful statements Jesus is making in our lesson today, based on John twelve thirty-seven to 50. So he talks about 
the fact that there are people who still don't believe. And the failure to believe, as irritating and as insane as it may be, is actually a fulfillment of prophecy, particularly Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 53, verse 1, and Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. However, for believers, believers go into a high place. We go into a high place because we believe in the Son, and we also believe in the Father. We see the Son, and we see the Father. We are beneficiaries of the light of the world, and that Christ's purpose was to save the world. Now, whoever rejects Christ, it's not Jesus that judges them, but the Word of God itself. And we know that the ultimate goal is that people who believe will be blessed with eternal life. Now I want to read from John twelve thirty seven to 50. The lesson is called Still Don't Believe. The reference, again, John 12, verses 37 to 50. Friends, let's listen carefully to the word of God. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejected me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Our reading is from John 12, verses 37 to 50, and our lesson is called Still Don't Believe. Let's begin with John twelve thirty-seven. He makes a very simple but perplexing statement. Though Jesus had done so many miracles before them, and I believe he's actually saying there were more miracles than the mere seven signs that were offered in this gospel. Of course, there were many more miracles than seven. Yet, despite all this, they did not believe. They would not believe. And basically, they were recalcitrant in believing. This is one of the wonders of the world. Even more perplexing is that he went to his own people who had been primed for centuries 
about the coming Messiah King. And they especially were the ones who did not believe when the Messiah actually showed up. But the mystery gets even more interesting. The very people who weren't looking for King Messiah, namely the Gentiles, when he shows up, they believe. It's the proverbial, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. But let us never forget that the early church was originally 100% Jewish and remained so for some time to come. The Gentiles eventually were grafted in, starting with Cornelius in his house in Acts chapter 10. And then before you know it, the Gentiles began to outnumber the Jews in the community of faith. So what's going on here? Reasoning, rationalizing minds was part of the problem. But also, the unbelief was due to pride, vested interests, envy, and blindness, courtesy of Satan himself blinding the eyes and the minds and the hearts of people so they could not and therefore would not see the glory of God found in Jesus Christ. But even more amazing is that the refusal to believe is a fulfillment of prophecy, especially Isaiah. So I'm talking from John 12, verses 38 to 41. None of this unbelief came in a vacuum. It was prophesied centuries before by the prophet Isaiah perhaps seven centuries before. In the famous messianic suffering servant passage of Isaiah 53, and in this case, verse 1, it reads, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Then John goes on to quote Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Thus, their unbelief was a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah spoke all these things because he saw Jesus' glory. Now, I'll be honest, I cannot fully explain why does it seem that God wants to keep them in unbelief, but we do have a hint why God kept them in unbelief, and it comes from Romans chapter 11 the great treatise on God and the ancient covenant people of Israel, that God has concluded Jew and Gentile into unbelief and sin, so he might have mercy on everyone. That's part of the deal, that God has a higher purpose, even in things that don't seem to make sense. Then in verses 42 and 43 of John 12, believers that were found in high places. Ironically, in this passage, many of the chief rulers believed in Jesus. However, they refused to confess him publicly for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Now remember this threat in John 9, the healing of the blind man at the pool of Siloam. It was said that whoever confessed Jesus as the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, and the healed blind man was one of those who was ejected. It says they loved the praise of man more than the praise of God. But remember this, friends, and it's something we need to learn and implement as soon as possible. There is what we call the fear of man, be it Jew or Gentile, and there is the fear of God. If you have the fear of man, it is a snare unto you. But if you trust in God, which is part of fearing the Lord, not living in terror, but in submission and reverent awe to the Almighty, then you are kept safe. And that's from Proverbs 29, 
25. Again, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man is a snare, but whosoever puts their trust in the Lord shall be kept safe. Then we go to John 12, 44. Believe in the Father and the Son. Jesus declares in a loud voice that those who believe in him also believe in the one who sent him. And then in verse 45, he goes further and declares that whoever sees him also sees the one who sent him. When you see the Son, you see the Father also. Which then, of course, leads us to John twelve forty six. It says, He declared again for the third time in the Gospel of John that he, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. When you believe in him, you will not live in darkness. Well, that is so true and is gloriously wonderful. So that leads us to verse 47. Save the world. Jesus then declares that those who have heard his word but don't believe, he will not judge them. His mission, in fact, is not to judge the world at all, but to save it. Now, this applies to his first coming. Christ came into the world the first time to save sinners. But at his second coming, he will reward the righteous and judge the wicked, as it says in Second Thessalonians 1. Now, the word is actually the judge, God's word. John twelve forty eight. Whoever rejects Christ and his word will be judged, all right? It's the word itself that will be the judge on the last day. Remember that Jesus Christ is the word incarnate, according to John 1, and it's verses 1 to 5. He is the living word. Incarnate means the word put on flesh. The word became a man, and he dwelt among us. Then we have the Father's command. It's found in John 12, verse 49. Jesus affirms that his words did not come from himself alone. His words came from the Father who sent him. His Father is the one who gave commandments what to say and what to speak. Then we have this verse, John twelve fifty. It has to do with life everlasting. God's commandment, his word, his will, is that you and I receive the gift of eternal life. God is forever, his kingdom is forever, and of course he wants subjects that live with him forever. He's not interested in those that come and go. He wants those that remain. It's to be an amazing commonwealth and a glorious family reunion. I mean the family of God. Whatever Christ speaks, it comes from the Father. And the end goal is everlasting life for those who believe the Son and also believe his word. So Jesus is speaking about the issue of unbelief. It is as darkness, blindness, bondage, and yet there is still hope. I've known of people, and possibly you have too, that for years and years resisted the pull of the glorious gospel of Christ, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But yet, they turned around, perhaps due to great intercession and much prayer. I've seen it, and I pray you will see it too. But more than that, there is a lot of unbelief in our world today. And some people seem like they're beyond redemption. They are antagonistic, they are hardened, they are belligerent when it comes to the gospel, And yet, 
these same people can turn around and become faithful followers of Jesus. Sometimes the harder they are, the easier it is to get them at the end. But for those that seem close and seemingly open as well, they may never make it through the fold. They may be like Agrippa II, who said in Acts chapter 26, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. He's saying that to the Apostle Paul. And as I've often said, in response to that particular verse from Agrippa, almost sounds nice, almost encouraging, hopeful, but friends, never forget, almost is not good enough. It may be a person on the way to coming to faith. It may be a person who basically is stuck in the mud and probably will make no further progress in faith. They still don't believe. But whoever you are and whatever you do, I urge you, consider the claims of Christ. Let the Holy Spirit open and soften your heart. And if you say yes, I can tell you, you will have utterly no regrets. Now, our lesson is called Still Don't Believe. And our lesson for life is this. The simple yet powerful truth is that your eternal well-being depends not on what you do, but in who you believe. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.